Dear friends, as we are here this morning for another chapel, chapel is a common occurrence. It's a set in our schedules. The difference, of course, is that we have each time a different speaker, sometimes a more familiar one, sometimes an unfamiliar one. And you just imagine if once it was the Lord Jesus himself here in this chapel, speaking to us, you'd say, then it'd be a perfect chapel. We would have to rate it 10 out of 10, not just by American standards, but divine standards, because he is that perfect preacher. We never forget. That's the opportunity that these ones here in Nazareth had to have none less than the Lord Jesus himself come and speak to them as that perfect preacher. And yet we see something which is so shocking, and that is that they reject this one who comes to preach to them. And it makes us ask why. It makes us ask, what is Christ teaching us through this account as we are here as a seminary community? Is it simply that we look down on these ones who reject, or is it that we reflect upon ourselves this morning? Is it that we reflect upon ourselves, or is it that we see the glory of this Christ who reveals himself in this passage? We, we focus on this event that took place here in Nazareth under the theme, the perfect preacher rejected. The perfect preacher rejected. And we see that this is, rejection takes place, first of all, after a wonderful sermon. Verses 13 and 14 are so beautiful, aren't they? After that fierce battle that the Lord Jesus had had with the devil, the, the devil leaves him, flees, and the spirit who had led him to battle in the wilderness now fills him as he goes into Galilee and he begins his ministry. And there's such a contrast, isn't there, between how the devil was treating him and how the people receive him. The people are amazed as he is ministering, as he's preaching, as he's performing miracles. They are astonished. And these accounts of what he was doing, they reach his hometown, Nazareth. And the people must have also been stirred by these, rep these reports and, and wondered what is happening. They thought they knew this Jesus who had been among them. And now they hear such wonderful reports, and that desire grows that he'd come among them as well. And sure enough, he does come on the Sabbath day, and as his custom was, he goes to the synagogue, and surely with him there, he would be the one who would be able to minister the word of God. And that's what he does. He receives that scroll of Isaiah, he goes to Isaiah 61, and he reads that prophecy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. 
And then verse 20 is so vivid, isn't it? The, the book is closed, the scroll is, is closed, and it says, every eye is fastened upon him. What is he going to say? And in the midst of that hush, there are these words, this day is this prophecy fulfilled in your ears. It's so brief, but so astounding, because he's saying, I am the one prophesied of in Isaiah 61. I am the one who's ordained by God, who's anointed with the Holy Spirit to be that Messiah. I am the Messiah standing before you as the fulfillment of this prophecy and who will fulfill all the prophecies concerning the Messiah. There at the beginning of his ministry, he's showing the people out of the scriptures who he is. And just think of what that meant. He stood there, or he sat there, I should say. I'm so used to preachers standing, but it, he sat there as the one teaching them. And he saw all those familiar faces, ones he had long been with, those seniors he had seen in the streets, those children he had seen playing in the streets, those ones he had worked for, those ones he had been with. He sees them all. And he says, I am the fulfillment of this prophecy to preach the gospel to the poor. Because he sees what these people are. Poor. So poor. No way to pay their debt they have with God. Poor, who don't have the resources of themselves that they need in order to live. So poor. He saw them in their blindness. Blind to the glory of God, blind to what God reveals. He saw them in their captivity to sin, to Satan. He saw those who were needy, those who were suffering, those who were weighed down, those who were brokenhearted. He saw them for what they really were. And he said, I'm here to preach the gospel to you anointed by the Spirit to do so. The good news that he's come to bring those riches of God's grace to those who are poor, to make them truly rich, to give eyesight to those who are blind, so that they may see and know the living God and the way that they are to go, that he has come to deliver those who are captives, to break their chains and set them free, to usher in that year of jubilee, that year of freedom at last, that year of blessing of God. This is the gospel that Christ preaches there in Nazareth. What a sermon. Is it any wonder that it says that they all wondered? They were all amazed. They were all impressed at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. They sense these are beautiful words, beautiful words of grace. And we'd almost think we need to change our theme that this is not the perfect preacher rejected, but this is the perfect preacher adored. And yet when we stand there a little longer, 
and the hush subsides and noises begin to emerge and voices begin to speak. Is this not Joseph's son? Comes from here or there. And how do they say that? Do they say it in amazement? Or do they say it in suspicion? Christ sees their hearts. And he says in verse 23, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. He sees they're impressed. But they're not converted. He sees they're affected by his preaching. But he doesn't see these needy ones stretch out their hands to him. He doesn't see their hearts go out to him for that very mercy that he is preaching to them. He sees their initial amazement turn into disappointment because they had hoped for a miracle and all they got was some words. And so we see that this perfect preacher is indeed rejected after a wonderful sermon. And who is he rejected by? By those who are blind. That's the second aspect we focus on. Why didn't they accept him? Why didn't they stretch out their hands, their hearts, to receive this Messiah who had been so long promised and was there standing before them? Is it not because they had come into the synagogue to be spectators, hoping to see a wonderful sight? And not as poor and blind and captive and needy, indeed of this Messiah who is being preached and who was preaching to them. They came in order to evaluate, in order to rate this one they had heard so much about and they thought they knew. Isn't that still a danger? that we have our expectations as we go to church and we hope they're met, that everything is, is nice there in the worship service, everything is good in the worship service, and that we could end and go home again and say that was good. And that's all. A danger that we who aspire for or are in the ministry become focused just on gaining good ratings as preachers, as leaders, people like us. And if that's what we aspire for at the end of the day, all we may have is people's ratings. Maybe it's good ratings, but it's just the ratings of people who come for a performance and do not come as needy sinners to receive Christ. The danger is also us as seminary community. Maybe that's a danger especially for us as seminary community, that we begin to go to church in order to rate what we find there. After all, we're all about evaluation, aren't we? Evaluation is what happens here. 
assignments, assessments. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it strong? Is it weak? And so we're always either evaluating or being evaluated, and we can carry that over, and we can simply go to church. And the longer we're in seminary, the more danger, perhaps, of just going there as a spectator to evaluate a performance. And not as a sinner who longs to meet this glorious Christ who reveals himself. In a twisted way, we can even want to hear an experiential sermon about sin, about grace, about the work of the Spirit, and everything else, but it's nothing more than a system that we rate. And it's not about us meeting this glorious Messiah who comes and who speaks. What does Christ say about those who only come out of curiosity or come just to evaluate his performance? He says, you don't accept me. Because the church is not about just a, a show, pardon the expression, but it's the Savior who comes as the anointed, as that compassionate high priest we heard of last week in order to show mercy, who comes as that chief prophet to speak as none other, words that we so desperately need to hear. It's the mediator who comes in order to do these very things that he says he does in Isaiah 61. How can we just go to church and leave again with only a rating and not him? Something must be wrong. Something must be wrong with these ones. And is it not that they didn't realize who they really were? He came to fulfill the prophecy and preach the gospel to the poor, but they never saw themselves as poor and realized he's speaking and coming for us. He came to preach deliverance to the captives, but they never sat there and felt the power of that bondage or that sin in their own lives. And so it was just words. He came to heal the brokenhearted, but they didn't see that need for themselves, maybe for others. You see the problem? We can only go to church as spectators in order to rate. When we leave our sin and our poverty and our blindness behind and sit down in church as seminary people who know so much and not as poor sinners who need that rich Christ and desire him, we would see Jesus. If being involved in seminary lifts us above that and we begin to thank God we're not like other people, then seminary is drawing us away from Christ and ultimately making us reject him. What a blessing it is when, as some of you share, that you've come into seminary and you thought you knew quite a lot and you, you come into seminary and you realize how little you know. And not just how little you know, but in seminary that, that your own sin is exposed the more in the light of the word that you're searching. 
and you come to realize the more I am poor, and that I am so dependent on this rich Christ, and to whom else shall I go? He has the words of eternal life, and that it's not just about going through the motions and performing well, but it's about Him, Him as the one that I so need. These ones reject Him. Not only is this a terrible thing for them, but what suffering this was for the Lord Jesus. Just think of that. He came and he stood in front of them and he said, I am the fulfillment and fulfilling this prophecy. And they reject him because he doesn't perform a miracle. What a suffering that was for Christ. Yes, it was suffering in the wilderness to be assaulted by the devil, but to come unto his own and for his own to receive him not is greater suffering yet. For him to speak, for him to offer grace, for him to say, here I am in my grace to do these things. And people just want other things, just want a miracle. What suffering this was for him to be rejected and yet, the amazing thing is that he did not leave. He keeps preaching to them because he is this one of Isaiah 61. He then tells two different accounts from Scripture, doesn't he? First, of in the time of Elijah, there were many widows in Israel, but Elijah was not sent to any of them, but that widow of Sarepta in the heathen city of Sidon, and then also about the time of Elisha. There's many lepers in Israel, but none were healed except for Naaman, the Syrian. Why does he give these two accounts? Do both not show the, the free and the sovereign grace of God? That no one can say that he is obligated to show it to me and not to others, as, as they thought in Nazareth, that he had to do something for them. He's free. He's sovereign. And that puts everyone on a level playing field. He also shows that that grace is received by faith, isn't it? Naaman heard the word and he believed and he washed and he was cleansed. If Nazareth responds in unbelief, what can they expect? Whereas later when there's that Syrophoenician woman from the same area as this widow, when she cries for mercy, wonders happen. The second message may seem harsher. It may seem to be saying, this is for others, and it's not for you. It's for the Gentiles, and not for you. And yet this message also is so full of the grace of this Messiah this Lord Jesus Christ, because it's to shake them, it's to humble them, and to turn them to him for mercy. This, this revelation of, of this grace of God will do one of two things. It will either humble and draw to this Messiah, or it will harden in resistance. And that's what happens here in verse 28, doesn't it? When they heard this, they were filled with wrath, filled with anger. What a change 
beginning with amazement, then questions, and now hardened in anger. And it's the same Christ who's preaching all the time. Why are they so angry? Is it not that their, their expectations are disappointed and their pride is injured? Instead of performing a miracle, he warns them. And they don't like that. Injured pride often gives rise to anger. And you can expect that. And that anger moves them to do the unthinkable. They had just praised him for his, his sermon. And now they rush towards them. They grab him and they drag him out or they take him out of that synagogue and through the streets and towards that cliff in order to plunge him off that cliff to his death. What must this have been for the Lord Jesus? The devil's assaults were suffering. But for him to come and him to proclaim that he is the Messiah and he is there in order to give them this mercy and for them to take him who is the light to give sight to the blind and to drag him up to that cliff in order to plunge him into the darkness of death, to take him who says he's come to give freedom to the captives and to, as it were, bind him and say, we don't want this freedom giver and we will do away with him. What suffering this was for the Lord Jesus to endure that response. And yet he bears it. And why does he do this? This is ultimately, and that's our final thought, this is not only after an amazed, amazing sermon and by the blind, but this rejection is ultimately unto his glory. They come closer and closer to that cliff, and it wouldn't take much to push him over the edge of that cliff and have him plunge to his death. There comes that moment when there's such a display of his power and his royal glory that those hands that hold him have to let go. And that crowd that's pushing around him has to make way. And he simply walks away from that cliff's edge and he goes his way. What is he doing in doing so? Is he not showing that they were able to take him there in that synagogue? They were able to bring him out of that synagogue, not because he was a powerless captive. He could have left before they even became angry. But he allowed that to happen. And he allowed them to bring them all the way to the edge of that cliff. And what was he actually doing? Was he not allowing their rejection to grow to its height in order to lay bare that they were exactly the sinners that Christ had come to save? 
If as they had been gathering, into, coming into the synagogue, it had been said that they were rejectors of the Messiah, they would have become indignant. But now their very deeds had been evidence that they are indeed the ones who reject this Messiah. Their sin is just so obvious. Their rejection is so obvious. It's unmistakable. Sometimes the Lord has his ways of stripping away that self-righteousness. And they can be very humbling ways when he lets that rejection of him that's been there underneath the surface of that self-righteousness come to the fore. And it's there in all its ugliness. Maybe you found that in your own life. Maybe you see that in others. But what do these things show? Don't they show that Jesus' words are true? Apart from him, we are blind and bound and poor and sinners. Left to ourselves, we reject him. So that that would come home and make realize that's exactly why we need this Messiah who's come to deliver the bound, who's come to give sight to the blind, to see, to know, to stir up to cry to him. He does it not to push away from him, but to draw to him. And yet there's also this solemn aspect of this passage, isn't there, that it says he went his way. On the one hand, that's one of the most fearful things. If Christ goes his way away, there's nothing to fear more than that. Christ to leave. Because what are we? What are we as a seminary? What are we as churches? What are we as families? What are we if Christ goes his way away? Thing to fear the most. But there's not just, he went away. He went his way, it says. What is his way? It's to continue, isn't it? To continue to preach that gospel. And that's so amazing. He doesn't stop because they rejected him. As we sometimes can be discouraged, oh, people reject and you shrivel up and it's over. But no, he continues his way in preaching the gospel. He continues his way in demonstrating that he is the Messiah. He continues his way of fulfilling Isaiah 61, giving sight to the blind. He continues his way because he is indeed this Messiah. He continues his way, all the way to Jerusalem. Why could he not die there over that cliff, just be plunged over the cliff? Because that was not the way in which he was to die. He was to make his way to Jerusalem. And there he was to be arrested. And there he was to be put on trial. And there by a judge he was to be sentenced to death. And it was all to show that his death would be a legal proceeding, not simply by unjust judges of the earth, but ultimately by God himself who would sentence him to death. And he had to die that accursed death upon the cross. 
exactly because he came unto his own and his own received him not and deserved to be banished from God, exactly because we received him not and deserved to be rejected by God. Exactly because of that, he, had to, he went his way to the cross to die as a substitute for sinners. He was bound in order to be the one who can now free. He's the one who entered the darkness to now be the one who gives light to those who are blind. He's the one who received no mercy but the just judgment of God to be the one who now shows mercy as that Messiah fulfilling Isaiah 61. This congregation, or congregation, this brothers and sisters is who the Messiah is. And this is the one who still continues to fulfill Isaiah 61. And he does so as we open the word of God, he does so as we're here with the word of God in seminary. He does so as we gather in our own churches and we come under that word. It's about him who fulfills this prophecy. How do you come here? Is it just as a spectator in order to rate a performance? Or is it as a sinner? who can't do without this Jesus in the midst of your sin, your blindness, the power of bondage or the brokenness that you're, th you're in. This Jesus, whose compassions fail not and who continues to use his word which we have here in the seminary, which we have in our homes, which we have in our churches. This one, with whom the Father is well pleased and says, hear him. This one who is filled with the Spirit. When we come in that way and we see who he is as the Messiah, then we desire to follow him, don't we? Then in the first place, it's not what do people think about me? How do they rate me? Do they think my performance is enough, is good? But this sense, let me minister and let me serve out of this Christ and to the honor of this Christ. This God, whether God uses it in order to glorify Christ in the hearts of those who hear, or whether there's resistance and there's rejection, so let it be. But I can't change this message of this Christ, God forbid. I'm determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified, whatever happened however people respond, because I know this is the power of God. And this is what this living Messiah today uses, because he speaks through his word and through his servants. Brothers and sisters, let us 
continue in this season, in this semester, realizing it's about him and hearing him, receiving from him and following him. Let's pray. O glorious and gracious Lord God, what a great grace is in thee that thou hast sent thy own Son to be this Messiah, that thou didst not only promise in the Old Testament, but fulfill it in the New, and art fulfilling all that thou hast promised he would be even today. O Lord God, we give thanks that Christ is the one who has come to preach the gospel to the poor, to open the eyes of the blind, to deliver the captives, and to usher in that year of the Lord, and that we still may be in that period. O Lord, we pray to forgive all the times that we just treat thy word as a system, and we treat worship services as performances with our ratings. But Lord, we pray that in the midst of this all, we would come before this glorious Messiah, receiving of him, learning of him. Lord, we give thee thanks that he opens the eyes of the blind. And for all that he has done also among us, and that he does deliver, and that he has shown that power also among us. Lord, we thank thee for that, and we pray thee to continue. Bless us further in this day and in this week. Help us in our various tasks and assignments as we are engaged in them, and that we may do them in dependence on thee. We pray to receive our thanks, to hear our prayer, in Jesus' name, amen.